Ready to add a big dose of positivity and empowered perspective to your day? You've come to the right place. Welcome to She Said, She Said podcast. I'm Laura Cox Kaplan. Here, we tackle everything from imposter syndrome and confidence building to the best advice on how to lead yourself through life pivots, including the ones that knock you flat. For the past three years, I've talked to hundreds of experts about their stories. Here, you'll find their actionable advice and lessons, as well as my own tools that you can put to use in your own life. Stick around. I think you'll find this investment in you well worth it. Mother-daughter duo Allison Braun and Delia Folk are the visionary founders behind a next-generation women's media company and community called The Style That Binds Us. In this week's She Said, She Said podcast episode, I talked to the Birmingham, Alabama natives about their unique partnership. What's it like to work with your mom if you're Delia or your daughter if you're Allison? We also talk about how the fashion industry is changing, the impact of COVID, and what consumers like us should know about sustainability as it relates to our own closets and purchasing choices. We get some great advice on how to think about evolving our own personal style over time, something that frankly I struggle with a bit, and what key pieces you need to keep in your closet at all times. We also get great tips on how to coach our teen and tween daughters on making more appropriate style choices, even though they are surrounded by countless images of things that frankly are inappropriate for them to wear. I really love that part of the conversation. We talk about risk-taking and entrepreneurship and the importance of developing partnerships with those who have a different perspective. In this case, Allison and Delia are from two different generations. They have slightly different backgrounds, um, even though they're related and they're a mother-daughter duo. There's so much that we pack into this conversation. I'm really excited to share it with you today. It's coming up next. But before we get to it, remember, you can follow more She Said, She Said podcast content on my Instagram at Laura Cox Kaplan and She Said, She Said podcast. And be sure to check out The Style That Binds Us also on Instagram. Delia, Allison, welcome to She Said, She Said. Thank you. We're so excited. Well, I'm so happy. I'm so happy to have you both. Well, we are happy to be here. (laughs) (laughs) So let's start. I'd love for you each to tell me a little bit about yourselves. Why don't you start, Delia? Okay, I'm Delia Folk. I'm the daughter. I live in Manhattan, grew up in Alabama, which is where my mother and co-founder still lives. So I went to Alabama, the University of Alabama, and then I ended up transferring to William & Mary. I majored in marketing in business, and then I interned at Versace in men's wholesale in New York City, which was uh-huh. very exciting for someone from the South. This was very new to me. And then I worked at Barney's on the buying team for four years in beauty, ready to wear, and jewelry at separate times. And then and then we started the style that binds us. And so we, before my mom and I each had our own blogs and then we merged, which we'll talk about a little bit later to create the mother daughter duo that is the style that binds us. 
I love that. Okay, Allison, tell me a little bit about you and was fashion always in Delia's blood? Oh, um, what was in Delia's blood was uh, doing things her way, you know, wearing things that she felt were interesting rather than what everyone else around her was wearing. And some of the things, you know, we were, we were like, are you sure you want those tennis shoes and things like that? But she always kind of beat her own drum from the time she was about two, she started telling me she could do it by herself. And she's been a spitfire ever since. But as far as fashion, um, I think we always have been interested in it and, and mainly like expressing who you are by what you're wearing but it wasn't ever anything that we had, I had worked in uh, previous to starting my business as a wardrobe consultant. So when I became an empty nester, Delia was deciding that she would like to do something in the fashion industry. And she asked me to help her do some research and things like that. And I thought it was very interesting. And I was trying to figure out what my next reincarnation was going to be like uh, post motherhood. And I had been an early education teacher when Delia was a baby. So in between I was a stay at home mom and I decided to go to FIT, the Fashion Institute of Technology in New York, which is where Michael Kors and Vera Wang and people like that went to school and they have some um, accreditation courses so I was able to get an image consulting certificate there. You sort of, you learn the science behind getting dressed. So therefore I could, you know, I had always been interested in fashion for myself and then to be able to learn the science of dressing, then I was able to do it for other women as well. Yeah. So Allison, at what stage was this for you? Delia had already left home or was she still in college? Yes. Where she was still in college. She was in college. She was uh, probably junior year. And the reason why I got involved in the first place was because William & Mary is a really, you know, it's a t hard school. It also is not a f uh, school that has like fashion merchandising or any kind of fashion program. So they were kind of stumped about how to help Delia post-graduation. And they're, they're just great about uh, their career center and everything. So she had to be her own advocate, basically. They let her almost form her own curriculum and they had some people in New York City who were alumni that advised her along the way, but she also reached out to me. And so I started doing a lot of research into companies and I remembered that I majored in advertising and then decided I wanted to go to graduate school in advertising. So I started that and my thesis was going to be about the history of fashion and advertising. But during the first year, I realized that I, I needed to pivot. I did, advertising was actually not something that I wanted to base an entire career around. Mm -hmm. So then I went back, got my early education degree and started teaching from there. So it's been this crazy path, but her interest in it sort of rekindled my interest in it. And the idea that getting dressed is not something, you know, shallow, that it's something that is important and it builds confidence and all these other things that go into getting dressed. Yeah. Uh, that's and, amazing. Yeah. 
So you get your certificate, Delia finishes college, you both ultimately establish independent businesses. At what point did you decide to join forces and create the style that binds us? And I I should also, while while you're thinking about who's going to take the question first, was there any trepidation about Delia for you working with your mom and Allison for you working with your daughter? Because even if you love each other, which you obviously do, and you get along swimmingly, starting a business together is a whole nother can of worms, if you will. That's right. We had been working together in in the way that she was at Barney's. She would call me and say, we met with this great brand today or these great designers. I don't know if Barney's is going to pick them up ultimately, but I thought that they would really resonate with your clients. So I would go to New York, meet with the designers. You know, we would have conversations and decide if this was going to be a great thing for my clients throughout the country. And it, and many times it was. And then the people, my clients were happy because they were learning about brands that no one else knew about necessarily yet because Barney's was all about, you know, emerging designers and everything. And so it was this great, you know, symbiosis or whatever, but I had trepidation about working together everywhere we went in New York, any conference, anywhere, people always said, y'all need to do something together. And I was hesitant because I, you know, what we both did, you know, they're serious careers. And so the mommy and me, oh, how cute. See, that's our little shtick. I did not want that at all. You know, so there's nothing wrong with that. And I love that for moms and daughters that, that really enjoy that. But for us, I thought, you know, there's got to be a purpose for us to come together. And the purpose for, for fashion is it's a visual medium. So we could actually bring a bigger reach together. You know, we could reach more women with our message. We could show we have slightly different style aesthetics. Jay is obviously a different age. So we, I was getting all these questions like, can I wear a so-and-so at my age and things like that. So, you know, I was constantly saying, yes, but the way you would do that is so, so-and-so. And I thought we can just show it. We can just make these videos and show this is how Allison would style it in four different ways. This is how Delia would style it in four different ways. Um, so people could not only decide by age group, they could also say, well, I'm more of a print girl. So I'm 50, but I love the way Delia styled that with the floral skirt. I think I'll try that. So I could see how it wasn't just that we were mother and daughter, we should come together, if Mm -hmm. that makes sense. It makes perfect sense. So Delia, what about from your perspective? Were you a little concerned about you guys forging this this partnership? And to to your mom's point, it being, you know, sort of cutesy or cliche, as opposed to actually like reinforcing the substance of it. Talk about maybe your, your mindset and how you thought about this going into it. Sure. So I think I definitely had a different mindset because I was all about it and being a millennial and constantly listening to podcasts and having lots of friends that are entrepreneurs and things like that. You're thinking about white space. Like when people kept saying, y'all have such a great relationship and rapport and you're working in the same industry and there's not a mother daughter company in the space. Of course, there are mother daughter design teams and things like that. But the style that binds us really is this new concept that we created within this fashion ecosystem. So I was definitely open to it because I thought this is different. We can use our strengths and weaknesses 
together. And so that is kind of what I was thinking about. I was definitely more open to it than she was. I was excited about it. With my personality, I don't, I just kind of decide something and do it without thinking about all the different things that could go wrong or right, which could be a flaw or maybe not. So I was just like, okay, I want to start a YouTube channel and a podcast. People kept, you You have to pay attention to the signs. If multiple people keep telling you something, then you kind of need to listen. So that was my perspective. I was all about it. That's great advice. I, I do think that over time, I think we all, we almost, and Allison, I'll, I'll direct this question to you. Sometimes we learn to second guess ourselves as opposed to <laughs> doing it right when we are launching our careers, because over time, you, you know more about what the risks are. And I do think we have a tendency as we get older to maybe second guess ourselves a little more. Maybe that's just me. What's, what's your experience, Allison? No, I think you're correct. And I think that Delia was all in. She had to sort of convince me, but now I think she's probably like, I probably should have thought this through more because <laughs> of the second guessing. You know, every time we do something that's out of my comfort zone, I'm like, oh, no one's going to come. This isn't going to work. They're probably going to say no. And she's <laughs> always having to pull me back in and go, why do you think this is not going to work? Or She'll just say, don't say that anymore. Because, and then every single time we have an event or we do whatever, it's always, you know, so far, it's always been a success, you know? And she's like, you just didn't even need to worry about that. You know, we did our work, we had it planned out. It was a wonderful experience for everybody. And so it's been interesting having the tables turn. Like, I feel like I'm learning a lot from her rather than me, you know, being the mom and having to teach her a lot these days. Yeah. I mean, that's a beautiful message about collaboration and how your differences provide such strengths as it relates to this partnership. It's a really beautiful thing. Okay. So I want to get into uh, some of the meat of what you do and specifically this idea that you talk about, you do personify different generations. Mm -hmm. um, and I'd love to talk a little bit about age-appropriate fashion, whatever that means. Both uh, two two different dimensions. I'd love to talk about. One is style and fashion as we evolve, but also I'd love uh, for you to address how those of us who are moms of tween and teenage girls how we can take right. them away from the garbage, honest right. to God, the garbage that they want to wear. So I'll let you guys decide kind of which pieces of those questions you want to take, but the age appropriate piece, how we evolve our style as we age is one dimension. And then like sort of coaching our girls is the other. One thing about age appropriate is, you know, I don't ever use the term, but it's, but it's there. I mean, you know what I'm saying? It is, um, there's no rules about that. And usually what happens, like you said, it evolves over time. It evolves, um, you know, like a young mom will hire me and come in and say, you know, I'm still in things from college. I feel horrible about myself and I can't get myself dressed. I've got these little kids and trying to, you know, create a home here and, you know, half the time they start crying and everything else. But you know, a lot of people realize when it's not working anymore, what was working for them before is not, or they have all these questions. Can I wear a cutoff still? You know, and really it's kind of like, if you have questions about it in, to yourself, 
you probably, it's probably time to not. The other thing is, yeah, as you get older, first of all, if you move into a career or motherhood and things like that, it's just what your lifestyle is kind of dictates what you're going to wear. And as you do get older, there are parts of your body that maybe you don't, you're not as happy about as you used to be. So a lot of times with me, it's like, do my arms look, you know, they're asking me these things, you know, I'm like, well, if you're asking about that, then think about if you're going to feel uncomfortable when you wear the piece. So that's, that's another big key. So age appropriate is more about really thinking through, am I going to feel relaxed and elegant when I wear this? Or the whole time, am I going to be pulling down the skirt? If you have to ask yourself, is this a little too short? It's too short. Go with your gut. That, that's what I would like to say. You know, we all know 75-year-old women who are rocking the coolest look in town. You know, you know if that's their persona, that's their personality. And then we know 20-year-olds who dress very conservatively. So it's less about age appropriate, more about lifestyle. And if uh, I'm more and more interested in how you feel when you get dressed. So if you feel distracted, like, like I said, pulling down your dress or kind of sitting like this, or they look at my arms, then you're not thinking about what you want to say or what the person that started you is going to say. So that's what I think about that. And then um, the thing about women with children, I went through that with Delia, like I said, she had strong opinions from a very young age and she wanted to do it by herself. And when she was little, she wouldn't let me help her get dressed. Her shoes would be on the wrong feet. She would say, I can do it by myself. And I would say, fine, they're on the wrong feet, but, but just go ahead, you know, it's gonna hurt, you know, whatever. And she would stomp off. But um, then it came to the point where she wanted to wear really high heel shoes, you know, to school. And I was like, well, first of all, it's gonna ruin your feet for later when you do want to wear them. And second of all, it's crazy to be tromping down the mall in high heel shoes, even though everybody else was doing it. So what I suggest for mothers and daughters, especially in that sort of preteen teen time that's so can be difficult anyway, it is a good idea to possibly bring in a stylist. So like when I come in and I work with the daughter without the mom, we sit down and we, it's actually college age kids too. And um, it's interesting, this dynamic. Mm -hmm. But when I work with these people, I go through the same thing. I go through older women. I go through which neckline is best for them? What are their figure issues that they're, you know, they're not so comfortable with and how we can camouflage those and how we can um, accentuate the things that are great about them. And then we talk about the fact that learning to look at a piece of clothing and then visualize it on your body rather than looking at a piece of clothing and just saying, well, I got it because it was cute. So-and-so was wearing it. All these big oversized baby doll dresses, if you're a preteen and you're tall, maybe a little bit, you know, you're not a little petite girl, that's not going to be a look that's going to do you any favors. But if mom says it, it's just hurtful. So that's when I come in and I can say, you know, yes, whoever, you know, uh, you know, whatever celebrity is that they're loving right now, they're wearing crop tops for sure. And they're wearing micro minis and everything. But that just doesn't work for everybody, you know, and you want to be able to put your best foot forward. You don't want to, you just can't wear every trend because you love the trend. You have to pick and choose. And it's really more about how, how you present yourself to the world and feel fabulous about yourself rather than, you know, 
dressing like everybody else. And there's a happy medium. It's almost like a therapy session between mother and daughter, you know, kind of like we can make some decisions to give some concessions on both ends kind of thing. I love that. I, I love the idea of having a third party arbiter. I mean, it, it works in so many different dimensions of, of motherhood or parenthood, if you will. I'd love yeah. to, since Allison talked a little bit about um, the client work, Delia, maybe talk about how the business model works as it relates to your clients. Are you, do you have separate clients? Do you have clients together? How do you, how does the business model work a little bit? Yes, so the style that binds us is both B2B and B2C. And this is something that we are creating. We're kind of climbing the mountain each and every day. When someone creates something new, it is much more challenging. It is more challenging to make help people understand what it is, <laughs> especially since fashion is changing so quickly. Right. We had all this experience and all these ideas and observations, some of which lay dormant for a couple of years, but we, we came together and really wanted to fit some of those. So the only thing that we have separate is mom does her style consulting, which I am not involved with. And then I do brand consulting. So right when I left Barney's and we didn't talk about that, but I really wanted to go to fashion month. That was my dream to get to go to London, Milan and Paris fashion week. And of course, New York. And that wasn't happening for me on the buying team. And I thought, well, how many more years is it going to take for me to get there? So I said, you know what? I'm no, I'm tired of this. With my personality, at some point, I just have a cutoff and I get super frustrated. And I say, no, we're, we're fixing this. So mom and I went to Fashion Month. So then when I came back, I said, okay, I understand the life, mind, and brain of a buyer. And there are all these emerging brands that get very excited if Saks or Bloomingdale, someone calls them and says, hey, I'd love to pick you up and carry you in my store. They get so excited and they don't understand what that means. So, and also I'm an entrepreneur. So I could help them really make sure to figure out both their direct to consumer and wholesale strategy. So those are our separate expertise that is B2B. And then with B2C, we have this whole content platform. We have a YouTube channel and a podcast. And then we host events. We have all the social media. So that is both helping women figure out how to get dressed, what to wear, where. We never want to hear again. I just didn't go because I couldn't figure out what to wear. <laughs> <laughs> who's, yeah. who's ever said that? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Every <Never> day. <laughs> And, and then also one of the observations was at Barney's, I walked the floor. I feel like retailers don't necessarily tell, spend time telling the story. So you're asking someone to spend money, but they've never heard of this brand. So why are they, why are they going to buy, become loyal to that brand and things like that? So we really wanted to tell the brand story. So that's helping brands with brand awareness and sales, and it's connecting the women to, to the designers. So that is why it is this fashion ecosystem that can and is a little bit complicated to explain, especially to people in other industries and or our industry, because it's kind of combining technology, like the magazine world and the buying world and the styling world. I mean, it's literally everything under one roof with just two people. <laughs> so it is, it is a lot. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, that's a really interesting, innovative approach. Why don't you talk, uh, you mentioned um, identifying emerging brands. 
Talk about what you're looking for with these emerging brands and maybe give us a few examples of some of your more recent favorites or what you're what you're seeing coming out for the spring that you think is particularly interesting. Okay. So basically, and mom came up with this idea. So I applaud her for this. We created something called the style standard. So we feel very strongly about having our women's backs. Mom can talk about how she feels like that with her styling clients, that we're setting them up for success. We felt like the fashion and art worlds can be very exclusive. You can't sit with us mentality and mm. we have the information and access. So we want to give you all the information and tools necessary to live your most stylish and fearless life. So we feel very strongly about our reputation and the brands that we are putting forth and telling our audience and community to purchase. So the questions that we ask ourselves before moving forward with a partnership is, are these products true to their claims? So I started in beauty at Barney's and mom kept saying when we were bringing on brands, well, what's the science behind this? I mean, who, how are you really making the decisions of bringing in these brands and what are you telling your customers? Is it true? And, and all of those things. So that's something that we consider and then do they practice or have a goal to practice sustainably and responsibly so i think that's something everyone is focused more on these days and then do we believe in this brand enough for our community to spend their hard earned money on on these products does the culture of the company match ours is this company focused on diversity and inclusion initiatives, which is very important. And then last but not least, does the brand share our values and message of uplifting and elevating people's lives and helping and helping our tribe to live a more stylish and fearless life? I love that. I really, really love that. Maybe let's uh, talk a bit about sustainability. What it really means, we, we toss this term out a lot but give us the maybe the textbook definition of sustainability and then how consumers and your clients should be thinking about this concept. What are the most important elements of sustainability for the individual? So sustainability, it basically, it has a lot of different things actually that people didn't think about before. So of course, the obvious thing is materials, recycling, upcycling, going into the consignment world and things like that. So there's that portion of it, but then there's also sustainability in that humans thinking about, okay, we never even really understood. We were just blown away and excited about the fast fashion prices, but at what cost does that come? So there mm -hmm. are humans creating these clothes. And if the t-shirt is $5, I mean, you can only imagine how much the human that made it is going to get paid. So the other portion of sustainability is treating your people well, fair and equitable pay and the working conditions and all of that. And then the last portion is long lasting. So is this something that you are going to have forever in for many years? Is it a vintage piece? 
So the portion of how well that it's made, is it made to last or like an iPhone, is it going to die after two years? And that's wasteful. So there's all these different things to think about with sustainability. We always practice. I mean, you know, I preach it to everybody. Usually when I come into somebody's closet, they have accumulated many, you know, over several years. So there's a bunch of stuff. <laughs> and, and my European designer friends all like to say American women have too much stuff. But by the time we weed out all of the stuff, we want a beautiful working wardrobe. It doesn't have to be ultra expensive, but it has to be, um, you know, thoughtfully purchased, the best quality that you can afford. So it will last pieces that are versatile, pieces that aren't too trendy. Um, and the thing about being trendy right now, everything's a trend that the fashion world has gotten so confused that, you know, whenever there is a trend, if there is a trend, maybe if you pick a trend, let's say leopard print. Well, we love leopard print anyway. So we would go after that trend because it's not in fact a trend. You know, we know in 10 years, people will still be, that'll be coming and going. That'll be in vogue. And the taking better care of your clothes and things like that. We just don't need that many clothes. Accessories are a fun way to change up a look. There are so many things. The problem with sustainability now is that there's like a sustainability police. So a lot of young brands that want very much to, to become sustainable, it's very expensive for them. So mm -hmm. they're leaning in, they're, they're studying it. We're just learning about a lot of it too. You know, as we, as we go uh, along, we're learning about, you know, clean detergent versus, you know, that actually works versus, you know, just, there's just so much to learn. So when you pair it back, it's mainly about being more thoughtful about what you purchase and supporting brands that are really trying hard. It's very easy for big brands. They have tons of money behind them already. But unless you start out being a sustainable brand, it's more difficult. The fabrics are more expensive. This is all brand new stuff. You know, every day it's changing, every single day. And so um, I do think even after, I don't think it's just a buzzword. I think at this point we can't go back. So, you know, it's not like, if you can do little tiny things, just little things, you know, like taking better care of your clothes, shopping, you know, consignment or vintage or figuring out new ways to wear the clothes you already have, just buying less in general. And when you buy, buy from, try to support brands that are trying, that have a mission of, of doing, doing this. Let me ask you a question related to that because... I think it can be very confusing for the consumer to know. And yeah. you can go online and you can see the brand's story about the brand. And so many of them, especially the new and emerging ones, a big part of their story is around telling a good sustainability story. But how does the consumer know? I mean, those are just words. Right. Is there a, an easy way for the individual, for the individual consumer to verify whether those things right. are true? Well, that was called greenwashing, and that was when it became a buzzword and everybody just started throwing it around. But what happened was that was happening so much that the powers that be slammed on the brakes and they started coming after all those brands in a big way, which is a great thing. What happened to some brands, though, the smaller brands now, everyone's scared to say we're sustainable. We, you know, we're sustainability focused. They all say 
you know, we're, we're working responsibly. They're scared that, because they really are trying that, you know, it's, it's like the wild, wild west. I mean, everybody is really just beginning, but the main thing is, I think if you know the brand's ethos, like this, this cardigan is by um, Eileen Fisher, you know, she's been doing sustainability way before any, before it was cool for sure. And she still does it. And a lot of brands, like the cool thing that people are doing now is you can go into an Eileen Fisher shop and turn in your old pieces, which they will resell and do whatever they, they do with them. And then you can get a credit to purchase something new. So they're encouraging the pieces that you buy that you literally throw away. That's the bad part, you know, recycle them, things like that. But as far as knowing, you just have to you have to do your homework and maybe um, if it's a new brand, you have to go deeper. Like this laundry detergent that we're partnering with right now that we love, it's called Dirty Labs. And they have a whole blog about it. They have a scientist on board. You know, there are all these questions that people ask. They have a question and answer session. They have pictures of what it looks like when you water a plant with the gray water from dirty labs versus a, a typical detergent, things like that. So, um, you know, if you really, really, really are, you know, going to take it to that next step um, and invest in pieces that come from brands that are sustainable, you just have to do a little more, a little more work, but more and more brands are going to be coming out with that as what they are. And they can't really, not, you, you, you're not going to get very far claiming that you're sustainable if you're not these days. That's really, that's great advice. And that's a great explanation that I think is super, super helpful. Let's pivot a bit and talk about COVID. We are recording this podcast via Zoom, just as you all record your own podcast. Normally, we would be sitting down um, at, a, at a mutually agreed upon location sure. in New York City or maybe Birmingham, Alabama to have this conversation. Sure. Um, but we're not able to do that. The whole world has been turned upside down because of COVID. Let's talk about the impact on the fashion industry. And particularly as it relates both to what we're putting on our bodies every day in our, you know, so many of us are able to thankfully work from home, but let's talk about, uh, you know, will these, some of the changes that have taken place as a result of COVID, will they be sustainable? What do you think the future is going to look like for fashion as a result of COVID? Everybody's getting really tired of their clothes because they've been wearing them now for months and months and months and they haven't brought anything new in because they weren't doing anything. But it's a good time right now to go through your closet and decide, you know, what is my lifestyle going to be like going forward? Not that we're all going to know for sure, but these Zoom calls and things like that might be a part of your future too, even when you're post-COVID, if your company has decided at least part-time you're going to be working from home and things like that. There are so many brands right now. There are so many fashion brands and the bad part about what's happened during COVID is a lot of them aren't going to make it. But the good part about that is there are too many brands doing the same thing. So going forward, brands are going to have to have a reason. They're really going to have to hone in on their whys. Why are they different from everybody else? Why are they existing? That kind of thing. And so um, they're going to need to have also, uh, but more than just a story, you know, like, oh, I grew up in Poland and I moved to America. It, it's going to be more a story about 
what are they doing that's making a difference? Because everybody has figured out during COVID, gosh, we actually don't really need that much stuff, you know? And so if you are gonna bring in something new, I feel like going forward, this quality versus quantity, less is more, pieces that are versatile, all these things that I've been preaching for years, I think it's going to make more sense to people now that they've been through this experience. So I think that um, they're really gonna have to sell what they're making and they're gonna have to do a great job of what they make. Beautifully made, ethically sourced. It's also more expensive to the consumer to buy something that has all of this. And so that's the key too. Can the brands survive doing it ethically? Mm -hmm. You know, are we going to be those people who are more thoughtful in our lives going forward? Or are we going to go right back to just immediate gratification? Oh, I need something to wear for tonight. You know, you run to the fast fashion place in your town and you buy a bunch of $15 shirts. You buy eight $15 shirts for whatever, you know, for less than hundred dollars and you're so excited about that but they all fall apart or they melt when they're ironed or you know in your head when it's a special occasion you don't really want to wear necessarily the h&m cocktail dress sort of thing in mm -hmm. maybe no one else knows but you know you know so much better to have one thing that's precious to you than 15 things that are almost so i hope that going forward, that that's a lesson that consumers learn and brands learn that they've made too, they, they already knew the fashion calendar was too much. They already knew that designers were being forced to create six collections, which, which meant, you know, before the next one came out, they were already having to be working on the other one and their creativity was sapped and they were physically exhausted. And some of them actually, you know, committed suicide. It just went crazy. I mean, it is, it was just too much. It was too, too, too much. We just don't need that. There's not enough people to buy all the stuff. Hmm. And then they were had to be, you know, marked down. And so it's just all this waste and everybody was starting to really talk about it. And places like Barney's were closing, you know, all this stuff was happening. And that all happened before COVID started. But when COVID started, after we got through the shock of it, we started saying, hmm, we kind of have time now to face the music and realize this is really not working. And if we are going to survive as an industry, which is a huge multi-billion dollar industry internationally, we're going to have to figure out how we can make some changes. The only problem is if the big, big, big boys don't play the game, then the smaller ones aren't going to be able to. Meaning if Chanel specifically keeps having the six shows and going to these exotic locales to put on their haute couture collection and metier art, dart and all that, all that stuff. Then the little brands that are only showing twice a year or maybe more like they're showing spring and spring and fall and fall, you know, where it makes more sense, then it won't work for the little brands. So the big brands are going to have to figure, you know, we need them to, to be a part of the game. Are they incentivized to do that though? The, the bigger brands, are they, is it really, do, do, do they view it as being in their interest to, to play well, the game? To your I think they're waiting to see. Uh, Cause I, you know, I read about Chanel specifically said, we don't, we don't want to not, 
we have people buying this. We are making money by doing this. This is what our clients expect from us. Because, you know, the biggest clients get flown to all those events to get to go to the shows. They keep the business going, you know. So, but there's also a men's collection too and a woman's collection. So you've got, that can be 12. I mean, it's, it's insane. So they are combining men and women's more now. I don't know what the future of New York Fashion Week is going to look like. I think Paris will always be a thing because it basically all started there. But I think as long as there are people buying all of the stuff, there's no reason for them to stop. So I don't know about Louis Vuitton, Givenchy, Chanel, Balenciaga, Fendi, Prada, you know, just the biggest names out there. I just don't know what it's going to be like. There have been so many discussions about this during COVID, you know, through the cash, the um, CFDA, which is the Council of Fashion Designers of America, and just so many. Vogue has held conferences, you know, international conferences. Everybody's trying to figure it out within the industry. Yeah. Maybe um, let's shift a bit and talk uh, or sort of take a, take a slightly different tact off of that that question. And give me your advice on, like, remember, our audience for this podcast is broad and diverse across the country, a lot, a lot like your own, I imagine. Um, but there are some women who probably have never owned Chanel versus many women who listen who have lots of pieces of Chanel. Maybe let's talk about the three to five pieces that everybody must have in their wardrobe and maybe what that might look like now because of COVID versus what it might have looked like 12 months ago. Right. Right. And so why, first of all, would even something like Haute Couture, which is going on right now in Paris, why is that even important to, to all of us that aren't dressed head to toe in Chanel every day? The reason for that is one, it can be considered an art, which the haute couture is just because of the artisans and everything. But um, it's just, you know, dreamy to look at. The other thing is some of the things from there will trickle down to the mainstream. And eventually those will be the pieces that we will see, you know, uh, a a brand's, um, a ready-to-wear brand's idea having been influenced by what they saw at haute couture, that kind of thing. But that being said, um, and knowing that, like we said, going forward with Zoom and everything, we might still be doing a lot from the waist up. I still think the basic pieces, we will be getting out and about, and I do still believe that every woman needs, like an all, these are the most basic pieces, an all weather coat. So most, in general, it would be the trench coat, the classic trench coat in black, but a lot of women with certain figure types don't look good with anything tied at the waist. You know, it can make them go out like this from the waist. So, so I'm not going to say a trench coat. I'm just going to say a trench coat that can take, I mean, a coat, a simple, simple coat that can take you from day to night that it, you need to think about where you live and where you travel before you purchase something super heavy or not heavy enough because you love the way it looks you know, the best quality, because these pieces, these investment pieces, hopefully you'll have for, you know, you can have them for eight to 10 years, you know, or even generationally, truly. So the next thing is like a white tee. This is like a white tank. I don't know if you can tell, but if you have, no one has these bottom layer pieces, like 
a white tee that you treat almost like a silk shirt that hangs in your closet, a white cami, a white silk cami, a white shirt. And then all you have to do is put a blazer or a cardigan over it. Um, or in the summer, you don't have to do it. You know, you can wear it by itself. And then you have scarves and earrings, lipstick, a little mascara, whatever, and you're good to go on these calls. But then when you're not on the calls, you can take off the blazer or the jacket if you're just going to be at your house and be comfortable. But it's not a t-shirt that is folded up thrown in your drawer. It is literally ironed. You know, it is a nice part of your wardrobe. And then I think a great jean that fits you well. And then um, for Zoom specifically, I think if you can have a few silk tops in your um, closet that, or maybe, you know, they're crepe or maybe they're, you know, something that is um, a polyester type blend or something, but just something that has some color that V-neck is really good on pretty much everybody. So a couple of different tops in, in colors, like the colors that you have on right now are great colors for you. Thank you. So if you have a couple of those that you can just interchange and then a selection of earrings, like especially like if this, you know, necklace were up like this, but earrings, um, necklaces, a couple of things, that you could wear like we've done videos about what is the best jewelry for zoom you know because if you're wearing a big fun statement earring and you're having a meeting with your lawyer that's that's really not appropriate you know it's not appropriate it just doesn't send the right message right you know it's not it's not it's distracting so that would be a wardrobe that i would picture you know the the blue jean and it doesn't have to be oh everybody's wearing the boyfriend jean well a lot of people look horrible in boyfriend jeans, women. And a lot of women look horrible in skinny jeans because, you know, it takes you into this V and then there's your little feet sticking out at the bottom. So a good straight leg jean or um, even a boot, boot cut. If you wear heels, uh, a jean with a slight flare, those, those basic pieces. And then a few bottom layer pieces, a black blazer, a great all-weather coat, a couple of scarves. I've also done a video about um, putting together a core wardrobe. And I think that is what every woman needs during COVID and not during COVID. And we were talking with a French jewelry designer the other day and she was so cute. She was talking about the difference in Parisian women and American women. And she said, no Parisian woman would be caught dead shopping in her sport leggings is what she calls Lululemon type things. She said, they wear those at the gym only. Their hair might be dirty, that's okay, whatever. But they would not be out shopping, especially like for clothes or anything in workout wear. And they just think it's abhorrent, which, you know, of course I love, cause I'm always trying to get people out of their Lululemon. But the only other thing I'll say about that is if you stay in your sweats too long, and you don't take a shower for a couple of days, it's kind of makes you feel depressed. It really does, you know, and it sends the message if you have kids to them that something's wrong with mommy. So something's wrong with the world. She hasn't gotten out of those clothes in days. But when mommy's standing in the kitchen in the morning with her normal clothes on, her hair's washed, she's fixing breakfast. They're like, okay, we're safe. All's good here. I love that. I, and I totally agree with you. I mean, I usually, even if I am, and I'm always working right from here, but I'm wearing right. shoes and I'm generally dressed to some degree. I may have yoga pants on sure. on the bottom for sure. Sure, sure, um, sure. But I'm wearing shoes. And oftentimes I pull out my really nice shoes just because I love them. And when I look down at my feet, it makes me happy. 
Right. And it that's sends normalizing. Signal- yes. For my children. <laughs> well, it sends a signal to your brain too. It truly does that. Okay. I'm in work mode. I yeah. am alert. I'm, I'm ready to go. Yeah, absolutely. So Delia, let's talk about, I ask most people who come on this podcast because an element of what we talk about on She Said, She Said is about ultimately the impact that you want to have with, with what you're working on and what you care about. Maybe talk a bit about the impact that you hope you will have with the style that binds us. So the mission is so that our community will live a stylish and fearless life. And the vision is to create a more courageous and daring world. So the thing I am type A, my personality is all the Virgo, all the things. And so I have learned, especially from French friends to to be more easygoing, go with the flow, less uptight. I think that will help me in general, especially if I ever become a mother, just to know that life, it doesn't have to be so serious. We can have fun with fashion and tell a story with the clothes that they wear and things like that. So basically we are humans, mom and myself, and we were willing to be vulnerable. One of the reasons mom was starting her blog was because as she was aging, she had a lot of questions. Her body was changing and she was very sad. It was not a fun thing to talk about. And being in the sandwich generation, (laughs) having a husband, aging parents, and me dealing with all of that and all of that. So I kept saying, mom, You've got to talk about this aging process. You're going through this. Whatever you human are going through, other people are too. So once you answer, get the answers to these questions, why is my skin so dry? All the things. Then you're going to be answering that on your blog. And that took a couple of years and we're still working on it, but it, it's doing that. And then for me, I was vulnerable talking about breakups and navigating office politics and life as an assistant. And if I can open up, even though that is hard to do, and I mean, no one knows, knew what, who Delia Folk was. So I don't have some reputation to destroy necessarily, but I, we try to really look inside and figure out how are we feeling? How are we navigating life? And then let's share that with others because if I like my personality, if I'm sad, I'm trying to make everyone else around me, like give them the biggest smile and make them as happy as possible. Because if I can't be happy, well, hopefully they can. So basically with the South that binds us, we really want to give women the tools to empower them and live their lives. We understand what it's like coming from the South and all of those the Southern females ideals and should you be working or should you not? So we're just coming from such a different place, for example, from women in the Northeast and all of that. So we're trying to learn as much as we possibly can and then share that and be vulnerable in our life process to hopefully help others. I love that. Allison. Well, first of all, I wanted to say too, as far as what we hope the style that binds us achieves And that is that women never feel invisible. Women never feel alone and that they come to us to feel empowered. And that word is so overused, but you know, I tell the story all the time, but it is true. It's when I'm working with a woman and she's in a bad mood, first of all, it's very vulnerable to let someone into your closet, you know, and see you get dressed and to say to someone, 
look at my thighs. I hate my thighs or whatever it is. So they're already there. And, and so they're putting on their clothes. Well, I hate this. You know, they're just, just very difficult. And then something, we put something on, or we can be in a dressing room or with a designer in town, or when they put on that one thing and they're looking, I'm usually standing behind them or right beside them. And they're looking in the mirror and we're talking about it together. Like, this is what I see. What do you see? And all of a sudden you can see their face. They kind of get this little smile on their face, you know, and they're like, oh, I could do this. And you can tell they're like, hey, I remember you. You know, it's been so long <laughs> since I've seen you. And so when I watch that process, it's so exciting and it's so rewarding. And that to me, that's what we want to do on a larger scale. Yeah, I love that. How about from each of you, maybe the most valuable lesson that you've learned about entrepreneurship? Because you're both new entrepreneurs, essentially. You're starting something essentially from scratch, started something essentially from scratch, having worked in corporate environments and in other more structured environments. One really valuable lesson from each of you about entrepreneurship. Besides the fact that we just became entrepreneurs recently, we created a company that really had never been done before. Right. So even when we work with other people, they're like, are you PR? Are you media? Are you buyers? Are you, you know, it's, it's an interesting, we're kind of having to do, it, it's more difficult than if we had, let's say as entrepreneurs, we had bought a franchise for, you know, a donut shop or something right. like that, that had some plans, some guidelines, you know, um, but I think what I have learned, and I actually learned it from Delia, is I still struggle with it, but I push myself all the time now. Her question to me was always, but why not? Because I would put up roadblocks about everything. Well, you can imagine if you're an entrepreneur, and I mean, everybody can come up with why something won't work, right? Millions of reasons why it won't work. But a lot of those are never going to happen. So, you know, when I would say, well, we can't reach out to her. She's, she's too big. She would never, you know, to be, to be on the podcast or whatever, you know, and it was like, what, why, why not? You know, well, you know, I, I don't know, but I just don't, you know, I'm not brave enough to reach out to her basically. And she'd say, well, we're doing it, you know, and we did it. And of course they would be like, sure. We'd love to be honored to, you know, so as an entrepreneur, I would say, first of all, obviously 24 seven, there's no time that it's not, you know, it's like having a child. You can't say, I'm just going to be a mom from nine to five. And then I'm going to take off the whole weekend, <laughs> every weekend, you know, it's pretty much, it's going to take more time. It's going to take a lot longer to make money and you have to be able to, to take risks, but the, the risks are what makes it rewarding you reach these goals and you're just, it's just keeps you going. It's just so much fun. It's just, it's, it's really fabulous. I love that. Delia, how about you? One, one piece of advice on entrepreneurship. Sure. So the thing about entrepreneurship, and this has been a journey of figuring this out, but what I think is really interesting is that Number one, as an entrepreneur, you're creating something that didn't exist before. So that means that you have a platform to maybe create some change, make the world better, and, and all of those things. So I think that that's not something that a lot of people think of. A lot of people, me, of course, everyone, we're selfish. And so we're like, I want to blank. 
I want to have a jewelry company. So that's why I'm starting the brand with my consulting clients. I'll say, okay, so what's the mission behind your company? There are millions of jewelry brands. Why should yours exist? And they're right. like, I just, I w- I just wanted to start a jewelry company. And like, that's not good enough. So that is the thing about being an entrepreneur is that you actually, hopefully this is your purpose in life and you have the opportunity to create the world that you want to live in. And that's like very hoo-hoo and like whatever. It's I love that. I don't think it's hoo-hoo at all. I think it's fabulous. <laughs> I absolutely love that answer. I think you're exactly right. And it's really, really hard, whether it's, whether you're creating a, a company like yours, whether you're, whether you're starting a jewelry company, whether you're starting a podcast, the mm-hmm. same lesson applies. So I am so grateful to you both for spending time with us today. You're fabulous, just as fabulous as I knew you would be. Um, oh, so thank you. Yeah. Oh, and for folks listening, wh- so they can follow you on Instagram at the style that binds us. Exactly. So everything is the style that binds us, the style that binds us, YouTube channel, podcast, website, which is where you can learn all about mom styling, where our blog is, where you can sign up for our newsletter. So you can find anywhere and everywhere the style that binds us. Love it. Thank you both so much. To learn more about the amazing mother-daughter duo, Allison Braun and Delia Folk, and their visionary next-generation women's media company, The Style That Binds Us, check out the show notes for this episode, episode 137. And if you're enjoying She Said, She Said podcast, I hope you'll let me know. Send me an email, direct message me, contact me on the website. Um, You can reach me through all of those different venues. I love your feedback and I love hearing from you. I also love it when folks leave us a review on iTunes. So if you're so inclined, hit the review button, give us five stars if you don't mind, and a few nice words. It's really, really helpful. It helps others find this podcast who are looking for this kind of constructive, thoughtful, positive, and hopefully uplifting content that we provide every week. I am so grateful that you have chosen to spend your time with us today. I hope you found this investment in you well worth it.